Philippians chapter 2. From verse 19, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. Every true man of God has this unspeakable joy. Every true pastor has this unspeakable joy when he hears testimonies from his or her brethren. Anytime the members are doing well and they come to share their testimonies, this is what is going on in my life. That pastor is very happy. It would take a lot for any pastor to be a cook. It would take a lot. And usually I like to say that when I go to preach somewhere where I'm not a pastor, all right, you can preach and say anything and get away with it. Maybe, for, like example, 50 people here will be millionaires by next year if I've been invited somewhere. I finish, I've left. Whether there will be 50 millionaires by next year, in between them and their pastor. Whatever reason I came for, if I came for honorarium, I've collected it already. If I came for, I mean, to come and display, I've already had my gain. So whatever, for every reason I came, whether it was a good or bad one, I'm done. Because I was only invited to come and preach. But the work of a pastor is different. A pastor is always very careful with what he asks you to do. Because he knows that he's still with you the next year. I said, there shall be 50 millionaires next year. That next year, he is still with you. And you can trust church members not to keep quiet. Didn't he say that last year? Didn't he say that there shall be 50 millionaires? We don't even have one, one, one. <laughs> so Paul is saying he's very happy. And usually when, when a pastor has good people like this, like for example, there are some leaders, all right? There are some PCF leaders. There are some cell leaders that when you entrust the flock in their hands, you know that the flock are safe. There are some cell leaders, when you see them, you are so happy. Why? Because you know that the members are growing. You know the members are loving God more. Some others, all right, some other leaders can sometimes see some things on the flock and take advantage of them. Like, for example, he's a cell leader. His member is wearing a shoe he has never worn before. Sees his member and says, hmm, what the head has not enjoyed, the body can never enjoy. <laughs> How can you be wearing this kind of shoe when your leader has not worn this kind of shoe? You have to understand the move of the spirit. Then that member, out of reverence, will remove that shoe and give to the leader. That's a covetous leader. Like a leader who would see his member 
maybe into some kind of business. Immediately, he wants to be a business partner of the member. Not because he has a passion for the business, but because he has seen his member doing well. That alliance was not formed by God and it's not for a holy reason. He sees his member doing well, so he wants to also do well like his member. So he's, uh, you know what, we can actually partner together. We can actually do moves together. After some time, that leader now becomes distracted from his primary ministry in the life of a member. A leader should never borrow money from a member under no circumstance. I'll give it to you right now. You're about to destroy the relationship. About to destroy the relationship. Because of the scripture that says the borrower is subject to the lender, immediately you borrow money from somebody, you have activated slave master. Haven't you realized? The person is your friend. Once you borrow money from the person, it's like you are now, there's some, something has happened. Come on now. Immediately, like something has happened. Especially when you are getting close to the date of payment. Ah, pastor, then what do I do? If God cannot give it to you, you don't need it. Do you hear that? If God cannot give it to you, you don't need it. First Timothy chapter 6. Start from verse 9. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and to many foolish and hurtful lust, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Now, People read, read this verse and merely say, ah, then, you know, you are rich, it's a problem and all that. That's not what he's really ref actually referring to at all because from the beginning, um, maybe let's start from verse 7. Uh, verse 6, let's start from verse 6. He talks about godliness with contentment and he says with great gain. Verse 7, let's go from there. But we brought not into this world and said that we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and snare, and into many foolish and hateful lusts, which draw men in destruction and perdition. Verse 10. For the love of money. So you see what he is addressing. Now, when you start from verse 1, he first of all started um, addressing they that will be rich, not talking about us, right? People like us. Rich people like us. That's what he's referring to. He was actually referring to people that uh, have their trust in their riches, okay? So, he now says, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, which while some coveted after, they have erred from their faith. People have erred from their faith. People have left their faith. People have left church. Why? Because of the love of money. Because God is being too slow. Which while some converted after have erred from the faith. The love of money is one of the things that, you know, sometimes clouds young people's minds. The love of money. He said it's the root of all evil. So which some have been converted I told you the story. God taught me a big lesson. Somewhere 20, 
17, 20, 18. Alright? Taught me a big lesson. He said something to me somewhere 2014. God said to me, don't buy a car. Your first car will be a gift. God said to me while I was in university, don't buy a car. Your first car will be a gift. So, <laughs> those kind of statements from God are very interesting. You know why? You don't know the day. Sometimes I, I think God should have, you know, I think God, why don't you sometimes give us dates? You know, I think it's easier to wait when you have a date. What do you think? It's easier to wait when you have a date. Okay. In 2019, December, you shall have a car. Oh, so 2018, all I would need to do is count down. <laughs> but God gives me such a blank word and tells me that my, I shouldn't buy a car because my first, well, God knew I had the money to buy the car. So he says, I should not buy a car. My first car will be a gift. So here am I. Thinking I really have need of a car. And I know sometimes and you think, like, look, you really need this thing. Then people will start advising as well. Ah, the money you used to take, taxi, if you put it together, you know, all those wise sayings. So many people were advising me. And everything they said was making sense. Sometimes it was so difficult waiting. You know, you know why? Because you have the money to buy the car. Then sometimes... The pressure of your friends also having cars. I had a friend at the time who was also a pastor. By the time I was not, I was not a pastor. He had a car, a white car, and he knows how to sometimes just rub it in. You know how much I buy this car? You know how much I buy this car? Right, this car, see, 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 this car, if you do like this, you go like, do like this. Sometimes you have to come and pick us go somewhere was so interesting the same time God asked me to now mind you I'm not saying I didn't have money there's a different thing at the same time God has asked me not to buy a car so I don't have a car I was staying on my own the moment I left in fact once I entered uni I started staying on my own so I was already living on my own. 2016 to 2017, the Lord speaks to me. 17. The Lord speaks to me. Go back to your parents' house. Mind you, I'm not a kid. And I started living on my own once I entered uni. So too much experience of being alone. What's in my room? What's in my room? A bed frame with no mattress on it. A table and a chair. And a student mattress. I started pastoring this church in that room. That's where I was. No car. Demoted back to your parents' house. Funny thing. If I have too many meetings in town and I come home late, my dad will lock the gate. And I'll climb the wall. <laughs> when this church moved to Best Western, I was still staying with my parents. 
when we put both services together, almost 500 people coming to church, I was leaving. What am I waiting for? For God to tell me to go out. But mind you, it's making a lot of impact. What was God teaching me? Amongst many other things God was teaching me, one key thing God was teaching me is that you don't need these things to make impact in your life. They are not the most important things. Don't think that you are not, you are not moving forward because you don't have some things. When he said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Hmm? He said, for it is God who worketh in you. God's workshop is in you. It's not a car. Most of the things you see outside, they are not... <laughs> the things you see outside, you got a house. Oh, God gave me a house. You don't really know God. God's work is not outside. Because that guy could have gotten that house without God. So, the things you call... Um, God has done something, or God has blessed you, or God is with you. Those are not the things God <laughs> rates. God works in you. He said, for God, for it is God who is at work in you. So, that, that peace you are developing inside, that knowledge of God that is, is, is developing inside you, that, that consciousness of the grace of God that is developing inside you, that passion of God that is increasing in you, that's God working. That's God working, not the car. That's God working, not the house. You see, that's God working. God works in you. All the things that the Bible said God has given us, we can't even see one with our eyes. For you shall see power. After with the Holy Ghost, that power, I've never seen that power with my eyes. I mean, God had to tell me that he has given me power. Otherwise, I wouldn't know. Oh, you can imagine that if God said there should be power, like the day we receive the Holy Ghost, we should be vibrating, vibrating inside, vibrating. And when we are walking, it's like... Tzz, 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 tzz. <laughs> and so then we now believe that we have power. But so, so silent, silent. Sometimes, look at, look at yourself. Sometimes it takes believing the word of God. It takes faith, all right, to know that the Holy Ghost is really inside you. Because as you are there, you don't feel like there's anything inside you. That's what the scripture says. It said that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith. Because it took faith for us to say that Christ lives in us. As I'm walking here like this, I'm one. But you're telling me that another person is living inside me. If another person lives inside me, what do I know? I'll be to feel like I'm two, I'm two, I'm two. At least when a woman is pregnant, she can tell. I mean, she can tell that uh, something is inside. Sometimes maybe it kicks more, you know. So you know that, oh, yeah, before I was one, now I am two. But God, a whole God, not a baby. Even the baby, you understand? The baby will show himself that he's, a, he's around. You understand? Your face will start swelling, your legs will start swelling. The baby is showing you that, yeah, I'm around. So you are not only one. But God, a whole God came to live inside me. My head did not become big. My nose did not change. My hands, nothing else happened to me. I'm just walking. And normally, it had to take, you know, God to tell me that he's there. So with some, having heard from the faith, he says, some have converted after and erred from the faith. Number one, you see that when they convert after it, number one, what happens to them? He said, they err from the faith. The second one, they pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Through with many sorrows. Some people's depression is not because 
everything is worrying them is because they have thought about how they don't have money. They've thought about how they cannot afford food at Kempinski. They've thought about how they cannot afford, afford some foods that some people are having. They've thought about how, you know, some people's uh, relationship goals. And they are depressed. Some having converted after. He said, have erred from the faith and pierced themselves. They have, no, nothing pierced them. The devil did not pierce them. They pierced themselves with many sorrows, with those thoughts. They pierced themselves. They pierced themselves. Life is in faces. Sometimes you're squatting with a friend. It's as though God has abandoned you. He has not. He's with you there in the squatting. In fact, he's lying next to you. And if God is there, he should take you out of that place. No. The Bible says, Joseph was in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph. In the prison? The Lord joined Joseph in the prison. You know, this is one of the reasons why some, some young people, when, when, when they go and start ministry, they are, so, they are so discouraged. Why? Because all they saw was how Pastor Ebuk is walking, and Pastor Ebuk and he's preaching, wow, Wow, wow. So they're thinking immediately, they go and start, they go and start ministry, they're going to start a ministry so that, you know, they can have three ushers, three on the left, three on the right. So he has 15 members, five of them are, are protocol, five are ushers, and five are bodyguards. All the members have responsibility. See, he's looking for the wrong thing. He's looking for the wrong thing. Or the best Western, usually I'll come very early, I'll come with my Uber or taxi very early. Okay, let me share this one with you. You will never, you never, when best was started, we're having two or three services. And where I was living at the time, is Legon Hills. They say I was living at the time. It's so hard for an Uber to come there. I have not shared this story, so you don't know. It's so hard for an Uber to come there. He had a car. God too is not giving me. And he has put a cross there. That will be a gift, so relax. So when will it come? Who will it come? You don't know. Anybody, you don't just, you don't know what is going on. But you just have to follow what he's saying. I'm living at East Legon Hills. It's so hard for an Uber to come that, that morning for me to come to church. I order Uber from 7 a.m. It is 9. Service has started. The, no Uber. All of them cancel. All of them cancel. All of them cancel. What did I do? I carried my suit. Carried my thing. I started walking. I walked from East Legon Hills. To school dance, and I pick an Okada to church. <laughs> I wore my suit. I preach a powerful message. Nobody knew. <laughs> you see some young minister. My anointing cannot accept this. My anointing cannot accept this. <laughs> Which some have been converted after. You see, the level you are now, eat your gary with pride. No pressure at all. Eat it with the same gusto that those in the Kebiska are eating it. Once you see them eating with their, you also take your gari. It's dead. Your gari and shetor put stackies on it. <laughs> Enjoy it. Life is in faces. Don't prayerfully eat your capital. Or you can prayerfully eat your capital. Father, in the name of Jesus, I eat this food. It's your capital. Take your time. Take your time. Take your time. So, 
And he says, having pierced themselves with many sorrows. They pierced themselves. I mean, this scripture is so beautiful. They pierced themselves. Because why? They are thinking of money. And when I hear people say things like, um, you know, because of my financial hardships, I want to start a business. And you know what they think? That when they start business, they will now have their own money. Look, when you start a business, the business first of all starts you. We don't know. When you start a business, the business will first of all start you. Uh, anybody who, who went into having a, a, starting a business because of money, you cannot make the money. You cannot make the money. If you got into it to start, no, you cannot make the money. When you see those making the money, right? When they started the business, it was for vision. They had a vision to do something. And after they did it and served for a while, life began to pay them. I want to start business because things are not going well. It will go less, worse. I'm telling you. All right. Verse 11. But thou, O man of God, flee these things. Flee these things. But thou, O man of God, flee these things. A cell leader who's eating offering. Cell offering, five cents, you are eating it. We should just add Melchizedek to your name. Flee! Money! Holy Spirit, bless me with this. Those who work with me will tell you the truth. If I'm lying, if I'm, the reason why I don't like lying eh, is because if I'm lying, one day, when I tell them something, they will not believe because they know I've lied in church before. I don't count money. I don't count money. Holy Spirit, bless me with this. I don't count money. Especially if someone has come to give you money. Pastor, please, I'm going through this thing. I don't, I don't want to even touch it. I don't count money. Bring it to me. Count it. Just give me the record. Just for accountability. Bring the record Count money. The Bible said, I should flee it. He said, Thou, O man of God, flee it. I flee for money. So when people sometimes come to church and they think, hmm, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. If everybody give 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, Hmm, this pastor, hmm. 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10. No, the person saying, if everybody give 10, 10, 10, 10, it's about to give one city. <laughs> so why are you not counting it like that? Count with the one you are holding. Flee these things. Flee these things. Why is Paul telling Timothy? He says, I know. Go back to verse 19. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. But trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy strongly unto you. That I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. He knows that. He knows that Timothy, when he says Timothy, Timothy is not going to look for the money of the people. He's not going to look at how he's going to take advantage of the people. He's not going to look at how he's going to take advantage of the people. He said, I'll be of good comfort. So I'll be happy when I know your state. There are some fellowships, right? When you see them, you're okay. You can just leave. You can even leave the, the, the fellowship for the PCF leader. So, because you know that they are in good hands. They are in good hands. They are of, you are of good comfort when you know their state. Verse 20. For I have no man like-minded who would naturally care for your state. Let me tell you this. Gifted people don't scare me. Some people are very gifted and charismatic. They just know how to twist words. 
If you say to amen now, $30,000 is coming to your account. You know, not because the Spirit of God is telling them, it's because they know what will make people shout. They just know their way around church. They have church language, but no church substance. They just, gifted people don't scare me. And the guy is gifted. The guy is gifted. Mm, the guy can preach. Mm. I don't, I'm not interested. <laughs> Look at it again. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. I mean, I would rather, as a pastor, put somebody in charge of something who has a natural care for the people than put somebody who is gifted. One other time, Paul told Timothy, he said, everything that I've taught you, he said, commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others. He didn't say, commit thou to able men. He said, commit it to faithful men who shall be able because faithful people will end up with the ability. There are some, there are some um, gifted-looking people who are probably handling something. Eh? Handling something. And they thought that, no, no, eh, they are something. They are this, they are that, they are this. Then, maybe because of misbehavior, we remove them and put somebody there who could not even talk. Most of the time, you know what happens? The person we just put there who could not talk start getting more results than the person who was gifted. Let me tell you, anything you are good in is your minus. God is calling Moses. 90% of the work Moses will do is talking, and Moses could not talk, and God still chose him. I said, when you are gifted and good in something, it is your minus. It is not a plus. If God will ever use you, God will come for that thing and break it and destroy it first. You know what the Bible said concerning Moses? He said he was a, a man, mighty in word and in deed. He was skilled in all the signs of Egypt. In the book of Acts, they were describing Moses. That means when Moses, before he went into the wilderness, by the time, you know, he was in, in Pharaoh's palace, the guy was skilled. He knew how to talk. He was mighty in word. He was mighty in word. The Bible says he was mighty in word. No, it means we mighty in word. He knew how to talk. God wanted him to now bring out the children of Israel. For 40 years, God was destabilizing, destroying his mighty word. Until by the time God came to him, he said, God, I cannot speak. I thought this guy was mighty word. By the time God was ready to use him, he said, God, I cannot talk. A gifted rebel is not an asset. Gifted people don't scare me. People resource don't scare me. Because God can make anybody anything. I'll read a question to you. One of my sons sent me that question when I taught last week, last week Wednesday. And I'll answer it. Okay. So I told him I'll answer it in church. I'm, I'm sure he's listening. Shalom, Pastor. Thank you for an amazing message this midweek service. I had one question with regards to the scripture in 2 Timothy 2, verse 22. You explained that one of the lusts of the youth was the desire to make a name for oneself. Pastor, please. Is it a wrongful desire to do things for God with the sole aim of converting a higher rank with God? I don't know if my question makes sense, but the examples given were all selfless leaders. Leaders who did everything for God and wanted nothing at all in return. I just wanted to know personally if this is a mindset I must repent from. Good question. But the real question here that we derive from this question. Now, have you ever heard people say that it's only in Ghana that you answer question with question? It's not true. Answering question with question, of course, don't do it in exam. But answering, 
Answering question with question is wisdom. Answering question with question is wisdom. Jesus seldom answered questions with answers. Jesus seldom answered questions with answers. I'll give you an example. Let's go to the book of Matthew. Well, maybe we should use Luke's account. We'll get it better. Luke chapter 10. So the 10 verse 40. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, does thou not care that my sister had left me to serve alone? Pity her therefore that she helped me. So he said, don't you care that my sister has left me alone? What should be the answer? I care or I don't care. Right? Right? I care or I don't care. But Jesus was a rabbi. And rabbis hardly answer questions with questions, with answers. They answer questions with questions. Because they want to get not only your question, but where your question is coming from. What is making you answer this, ask this question? All right, so look at verse 41. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, the actual rendering, I don't know why the King James put a full stop there. It's not a full stop. It says, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, or why are you careful and troubled about many things? So the question was answered with, not I care or I don't care. What is behind the question is that she was troubled and cared about many things. Are you seeing? So Jesus was not only interested in answering a question, he was addressing where the question is coming from. So Jesus answered the question with a question. So I'm going to answer the boy's question. But there's a question in the boy's question that if we don't answer, our answer for this will be wrong. What's the guy's question? The question said, um, is it right to do things so that you can have a high ranking God? Then the question is, what is a high ranking God? That's the question. Do you know some people think that if there's a man of God, all right, let me <laughs> rewire your mind. There's a man of God who probably vanishes or suspends. I mean, he's a great man of God. Wrong. Shocking. Because some, some Christians are now into, you know, they, they want to speak in tongues until they vanish. Who is great? Who is great? Who is a great man? Who is a great man? Two things. You want to know someone who is great in the sight of God? Two things. Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. For verily I say unto you, the heaven and the earth pass. One jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. He says heaven and earth will pass. Vanishing, pass. Suspending, pass. Money, pass. Everything will pass. All that you think is making you an important person is everything will pass. He said, but not one jot or one tittle from the law will pass until it is fulfilled. Okay, verse 19. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom. So God doesn't just care about results. He cares about the roots. <laughs> but whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. The first thing that you used to know a great person in the sight of God is how much of the word of God has vent in his life. How much of the word of God has vent in his life? Because some people, they do some and they leave some. They are not great in the kingdom of heaven. Yes, they give their tithe, but they don't go for sowing. Because they don't believe the scriptures. If they believe the scriptures, they'll do it. They go for sowing, but they don't believe in giving. So the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So the first thing you will, use, you will know a great person by, or someone who is having a high ranking, is just scripture. It's as simple as that. Scripture, walking in the word of God. That's it. Walking in the word of God. That's a great man. The second one. Philippians chapter 2. 
back there. Let's start from verse 7. Um, let's start from 5. Let this mind be in you. Pay attention. Well, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. All right? Who being in the form of God. Who being in the form of God. The, the man was in the form of God. He said, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But did what? Verse 7. But made himself of no reputation. Made himself of no reputation. And took upon him the form of a servant. A servant is great in the eyes of God. Took upon him the form of a servant. And was made in the likeness of men. Verse 8. And be found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself. You want to know a, a, a man who has a high rank with God? Humility. It's not in the volume of your tongues. You will see a servant. You will see humbled. The next one says, and became obedient unto death. He became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. He became obedient. So you have seen being a servant. You have seen being humbled and became obedient. This is what we're talking about. Jesus. At this point, at this point, Jesus was healing the sick. Jesus was raising the dead. I thought he was already something. I thought that looked like a higher rank with God. No, because there was a higher rank with God. Verse 9. Wherefore God had also highly exalted him before he was exalted. Now he was highly exalted and giving him a name. Oh, what happened to his first name? So, did the name change? Was it Jesus and later became Jesus Christ? No. When he says, and God gave him a name, it is not the sounding of the name. Something now entered the name. Something now entered the name. Ladies and gentlemen, the things I'm preaching today that people are looking for to listen to, I've been preaching it since. There was a point in time, God deemed it fit to give me a name and put something in my words. The, the, the things I'm saying now, I've said them before. You didn't mind me. Wherefore God has also highly exalted him and giving him a name. A high rank with God. Humility. And giving him a name. That is above every name. Verse 10. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. That means people bow to the name of Jesus in hell. Verse 12. That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. You want to know how I rank with God? It's humility. It's not vanishing. I'm telling you. It's scripture in the world of men to move up you know what you need to do? You climb up. Not so with God. To move up, you go down. You go down. Move up with God, you go down. Let's switch it up a little. So you, get, you know what? Everything I just shared right now, it's not part of my notes. But I could tell the Holy Spirit was driving my heart in a particular direction. On Sunday, I, I came from a scripture, Romans chapter 10, verse 1. It said, brethren... My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. All right? Paul said to Timothy, he said, for all seek their own, what are the things that are Jesus Christ? So we're looking at the things that are Jesus Christ. He said, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God, my heart desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Now, this is in line with what Jesus said. 
He said, actually, Isaiah prophesied and Jesus quoted Isaiah. He said, these people worship me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. These people worship me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So, Jesus, um, over here is talking about men, what men see and what God sees. So, you go to Romans 7, verse 1, said, Brethren, my heart desire and prayer. Why heart desire and prayer? Now, on the outside, all right, if I stand here like this, if two people come to stand here to pray, one is standing here, the other is standing here to pray, and they start praying, all right? Get this one. If two people are praying here, on a normal day, if we are asked to pray, don't change how you pray. Just pray on a normal day. If you are asked to pray, give me some strings. We are asked to pray. Everybody get not pray right now. Begin to pray now. How do you pray? This is how you pray on a normal day. Stephen, Stephen is not true. Stephen, I've seen you pray before. Like, like the prayer is hot. I'm telling you, the prayer is hot. Normal day, don't add anything. Like how you usually, if you ask me to pray on a normal day, I'll be able to show you. So don't look at him. Don't, don't try to, the normal one of you, because I've seen you two pray before. All right, so now let's begin to pray right now. Continue, 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 continue. Yaba, yale, mo, yapade, yapade. All right, hold on. Yunisu, now let's look at how they are praying. Who is more prayerful? <laughs> the two of them, who is more prayerful? St Stephen, right? You saw how they prayed. The two of them, who is more prayerful? Stephen. Brother. The two of them, who is more prayerful? Stephen. Thank you. Sit down. You know what? We have said what we know. But that's not how God looks at it. The outward show of the prayer, God will definitely connect heart and mouth. That's why salvation can never happen until there is a believing in the heart and there's a confession with the mouth. Because God always connects the heart and the mouth. Because, now, by saying this, I'll tell you this. God doesn't hear our prayer. He hears our desperation. Now, in context, I can say God hears our prayer, but I'm moving, this is, this is in the context, so you'll get it. I'm sure you'll get it as we go on. God connects the heart with the mouth. Two people can pray for four hours and one is praying with no concern. That's why Paul said, my heart desire and prayer. Why? There's a heart, there's, there's a longing in the heart. There's something going on in his heart. When the guy looks at his friend who is not saved, there's something going on in his heart. Another person has been ordered to pray. So one person is praying, looking at his friend, looking at the school, looking at the place, looking at everybody who is not saved, and something is going on in his heart. Brethren, my heart desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. So, the heart desire is there. 
there's, a, there's something moving in his heart. Then he, with, with that thing that's going on in his heart, he begins to pray. He begins to pray. My heart desire and prayer. My heart desire and prayer. My heart desire and prayer. Look at Romans chapter 9. I'll start from verse 1. What a man Paul was. What a man Paul was. What a man Paul was. Romans chapter 9 from verse 1. He said, I say the truth in, the, in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bear me witness in the Holy Ghost. Verse 2. That I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. The Bible talks about training in righteousness. Nine verse one. I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. The guy said, I'm not lying. My conscience is bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. He said that I have great heaviness. Paul is looking at Israel. They are not saved. He said, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Verse three. For I could wish that myself. Is it Paul? He said, I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren. He says, better there's a curse on me. I wish that I am a curse. Are we still online? Are we still online? All right, I'm fine with that. He said, for I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren. My kinsmen according to the flesh. He said, my brethren, I wish that I was a curse. I wish I was a curse so I could see, I could see results with these people. He said, I wish I was a curse. I wish I was a curse. He said, for all seek their own. One of the things which are Jesus Christ. What's he saying? What's Paul saying? What's Paul saying? Let's go to the book of Numbers. Book of Numbers. Chapter 11. Verse 13. When should I have flesh? Now this is the time these people were asking for meat from God. Then Moses is asking, Where will I have flesh to give unto these people? For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh that they may eat, that we may eat. I am not able to bear all these people alone because it is too heavy for me. Well, say, it, it was like a load. It was like a leadership load on Moses. He said, I'm not able to bear these people alone. So, it, it's too heavy for me. He said, this thing is too heavy for me. He said, this, everybody is complaining. This thing is too heavy for me. So Moses, the reason Moses was able to carry out that assignment from God was not a natural, you know, a, a, a natural, um, uh, how, how do you call it? Uh, disposition. It's not like he naturally um, likes the children of Israel. No, God had done something to Moses. God had done something to Moses and it became like a burden. So when the people cried, Moses felt it. When the people said they needed something, Moses felt it. When people said they were having challenges, Moses felt it. It's the same thing God has done to some of us. When people are, are coming to us with challenges, we feel it. We feel it. We don't call for miracle services to display the gifts God has given us. We call for certain meetings because we feel it. We can feel what the people are going through. And sometimes we'll petition God. We'll pray about it. God, do something about it. And we are praying. So Moses felt it when the people were crying for me. God, Moses could have said, hey, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. So he said, I'm not able to bear these people alone because it's too heavy for me. Verse 15. He says, and if thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray thee. Isn't the same thing Paul is saying? He said, I wish I was a guest. 
He says, kill me, I pray thee, out of hand. If I have found favor in thy sight, let me not see my wretchedness. Verse 16. He said, and the Lord said unto Moses. Now, God is about to give them meat. All right? Now, the answer God gave about the meat, it's very, very, very interesting because if God is going to give it, God should have told Moses that, okay, Moses, get ready. Meat is coming. He said, no, gather unto me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be the elders of the people, and officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand there with thee. Verse 17, he said, and I will come down and talk with thee, and I will take of the spirit which is upon thee, the thing that is making Moses care about them. He said, I will take that is upon thee, and will put it upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with thee. I mean, the people will begin to feel for the people. They'll begin to feel for the people like Moses is feeling for them. So, this is what Paul was talking about. He said, I wish I was a curse. He said, there's great heaviness and sorrow in my heart. A Christian who doesn't have concern for the things of God needs to really check himself. When you get into a place, do you start, do you start oozing that concern that same concern, when you get into a place, you start oozing the same concern that God has for the people. That's why I always, I always look at leaders who make merchandise of bread and I wonder, where, where are you coming from? Do you have a concern? Is there a true concern? When you look at them, do you think these are people I should take advantage of? Do you have a true concern for the people? This guy had a concern. I want to talk about seven concerns. Seven concerns. But I'll not, I'll not take all, maybe I'll take one today. We'll take the rest later. Seven concerns. There's concern. There's a concern. There's a concern. There's a concern. No man can be great in this kingdom without tears. Nobody, no man can be great in this kingdom without tears. No man can be great in this kingdom without tears. Listen. Listen, there was a day the disciples of Jesus Christ came and they said, Jesus asked them a question. I'll end with this. Jesus asked them a question. Jesus said, Who do men say I am? Who do men say I am? You know, a lot of the time we have, we have read that scripture and we have neglected the part that, you know, the, 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 some say you are John the Baptist, some say you are Elijah, some say you are Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. It's in Matthew chapter 16, from verse 13. When Jesus came on the coast, uh, Philip, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, I the Son of God, am? Son of man am. Verse 14. And he says, some say that thou art John the Baptist. Some say Elias. And others Jeremiah. Or one of the prophets. You know, every time we are preaching about this, we preach and we go straight to verse 15. He said unto them, but who say you that I am? Then we talk about how Peter got a revelation from God. But we've not paid attention. Were the disciples crazy? Were they just mentioning names? Why are just mentioning names? Are they crazy? Some say you, you are high priest. Some say you are Barabbas. Some say you are, you know, they, they could have just said anyone. Why these particular names? 
Why this particular name? Because they had read the scriptures. They knew how those people acted. And they realized that there was a parallel between how these prophets acted and how Jesus was acting. They realized that there was something about Jesus. There were, there were, there were three people that were mentioned there. Three people that were mentioned there. He said, some say, thou art John the Baptist. Why? John the Baptist was called the voice. He was the preacher. He was a preacher. They realized that Jesus had the same thing. He was a preacher. John the Baptist said, I am the voice that cries out of the wilderness. He was a preacher. He was a voice man. He was a voice man. He had a loud voice. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And they realized that Jesus was also a preacher. He would gather 5,000 people, no microphone, no PA system, and he'll begin to, blessed are they that mourn after righteousness. That test after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Jesus was a preacher. They saw that parallel. There was something about Jesus that looked like John the Baptist. But that was not all. They said, others say you are Elijah. Why? Because they realized something about Jesus. Elijah prayed. Jesus prayed. They look at how Jesus would be praying. He was, he was not only a, vo a voice man. He was not only a preacher. Elijah, just as Elijah prayed. Elijah prayed. Elijah prayed. Jesus was also a praying person. So the disciples say, hey, people are saying you are Elijah. Why? When we look at the way you are praying, you pray like Elijah. You pray like Elijah. Someone say you are Elijah. So first of all, he was a voice man. He was a preacher. The next one, he was a praying person. But the third one is what I want to talk about. Why did they mention Jeremiah? They could have mentioned Habakkuk. They could have mentioned Hosea. They could have mentioned Amos. Why did they say Jeremiah? Because Jeremiah is referred to as in scripture, a man of sorrow. Jeremiah was a man of sorrow. And you know what? That parallel is so beautiful because Jeremiah was called a man of sorrow. Jesus is called the man of sorrows. Who was Jeremiah? They called him the weeping prophet. The weeping prophet. The weeping prophet. Some people, some people pray without tears. Number one, concern. Concern for the city. Concern for the city. Bible says Jesus Christ wept over Jerusalem. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Jesus looked at Jerusalem and he began to weep. He began to cry with tears. He was weeping over Jerusalem. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that killed the prophets. Oh, he began to look at them. What, what, what is about concern for the city? Now, this is different from concern for, for um, uh, maybe those who are not born again. No, the, every city has a soul. Every city has a soul, all right? Every city has a soul. It's like, a, like the, the, the collective understanding of the people Every city has a soul. So everybody's understanding, everybody's lifestyle, no, the violence that goes on in the city, the, 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 the evil that goes on in the city, all that comes together and becomes the soul of the city. Jesus Christ did not weep over a man. He wept over Jerusalem. The Bible says that in, on the judgment seat of, uh, uh, of Christ, um, the, the, uh, the judgment of the sheep and the goat, God will judge nations, not men. He will judge nations. That means cities, cities are, are an entity before God. Jesus did not weep over the high priest. He did not weep over the, the sinners there. He wept over the city. The Bible says that Jesus wept. He wept over the city. He wept over the city. He wept over Jerusalem. He was crying. Jesus was weeping over Jerusalem. 
Lamentations. Lamentation was written by, by Jeremiah. Lamentations. Crying. The meaning of lamentation is crying, 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 crying. When, when has, has the predicament of young people in this country got to your atten attention so much that you were lying down, you were crying? This comes before preaching. Lamentations. Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 47. He's talking about the city. He's talking about Jerusalem. He said, fear and the snares come upon us. Desolation and destruction. My eye runneth down with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eye runneth down with rivers of water. He said, I'm crying. I'm crying. Give it to me a new living translation. I'm crying. The weeping prophet, always weeping. Weeping over Jerusalem. Weeping over the people. Weeping. Weeping. What's going on with them? What's going on with them? He begins to cry. A great man of God called William Booth. One day, some ladies had gone to start a church. In a, in a city. They did everything. They had evangelized. They had prayed. They had done everything. They were not seeing results. Nobody was getting saved. There was no... When they, they told the man of God, he said, we have done this. We have prayed. We have had evangelism. We have gone out for sowing. We have done this. We have done that. But nothing seems to work. They said, we have tried evangelism. We have tried everything. When they sent a letter to William Booth, William Booth replied the letter with only two words. Try tears. Said, you've tried everything? Try tears. The New Living Translation said, Tears stream from my eyes because of tears stream from my eyes because of the destruction of young people. Tears stream from my eyes because of the destruction of people. Tears stream from my eyes. Tears stream from my eyes. That's the reason why I don't have the luxury to be tempted by what they do because tears stream from my eyes. Tears stream from my eyes. When I look at them, I see that they need help. Tears stream from my eyes. I begin to weep over the city. Have you wept over your city? Have you wept over your, your, your school? Have you wept over your school? When you see the things going on there, do you weep over the school? Do you weep over your community? Do you weep? You know, when you don't, you don't cry for your city, you will never have the compassion to even go out for soul winning. I pray that God baptizes you with the same concern. You weep over the city. You weep over Accra. You weep over New York. You weep over Lagos. You weep over Lagos. You weep over Lagos. I don't know why I mentioned Lagos three times. Shanda Barakosata. That you weep over Texas. You weep over the city. There's violence there. You weep over Ohio. You weep over China. You weep. You cry. Tears flowing down your eyes. Kanto Sakabaya. Yeah, but David said the same thing. He said, rivers of water run down my eyes because they keep not your law. He said, because they are not following the word of God. He said, rivers of water run down my eye. Run down my eye. Run down my eye. Run down my eye. Sometimes you look on the internet and you see, now the devil has, has, has gone to pitch in the secondary schools. You weep over them. Weep over them. Yes. Yes. 
tears. Concern for the city. Concern for the city. Concern for the city. Concern for the city. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. I want us to pray. Weep over Accra. If you're in another country, you weep over that country. This is where impact comes from. Jeremiah was called a weeping prophet. Wept. Wept. He wept. Wept. Said my heart desire and prayer. When someone pastors a city and he never weeps over the city, you never have results. The man of God, Pastor Chris, preached a message many years ago. Try tears. It's time. It's time to pray. It's time to cry. We pour by the city with a desperation in our hearts. Touch these young people, Lord. Touch these young people. See, some of us, nobody followed us up. Nobody followed us up. Some of us, nobody followed us up. Because there's a dimension of the glory of God you can see that you'll be startled for life. Nobody called us, come to church. We were following up on God. It doesn't matter how bad that person is. There's something God can do to that person. Because you see, when this is not done, you will, we will keep winning souls and they will keep going back because they are not children. We did not weep over them. You will invite them to church, they will come and sit down, they will just have oh, a nice message and go back into whatever they were in before, before they came to church. But for them to have a lasting impact in their lives, there has to be weeping over them. Concern for the city. That's where it begins. Concern for the city. It's time for us to pray. Go ahead and begin to pray now. Concern for the city. Oh, Karadaba Shatakaya. Yadabako Shadadabaya. Yabako Kabaradaba Shadadabaka. Touch the young people in this country, Lord. 
Ha, ha, ha. 